Well, uh, you just heard the story about proponents of liberty. Uh, my story will be opposite. It's a story about a man <laughs> who was anti-liberty, John Collier. Uh, let me uh, start by uh, posing a uh, rhetorical question. Imagine a country that has a corrupt authoritarian government. In that country, nobody knows about checks and balances, and uh, nobody is familiar with an independent court system. Private property is not recognized in this country. Neither can one buy and sell land. All businesses are reluctant to invest into this country because the property is not protected. <clears throat> Those people who have jobs, they work for a public sector. Those who don't have jobs, they exist uh, on uh, meager entitlements that provide the basic uh, uh, foods and clothing. At the same time, this country supports uh, uh, free health care, free education, and um, um, <clears throat> can you guess what country is it? It could be, yeah, it could be Soviet Russia. It could be uh, Cuba, right? Uh, what else? Venezuela. Venezuela. <laughs> uh, it could be a third world country, although even Zimbabwe today has at least formally, right? Uh, checks and balances and private properties, at least formal, is uh, protected. Well, uh, the answer to this rhetorical question is that this country exists here in the United States, and the name of this country is Indian country, Native, Native America. Uh, Indian country, it's a metaphor used by writers and scholars to describe the archipelago of uh, 310 uh, Indian reservations you can see here on the map. <clears throat> These lands are held in trust by the federal government, which means legally this is uh, federal property, which means you cannot sell and buy land, which means you cannot get mortgage. <laughs> that is why when you cross the borders of reservation, you see a bunch of trailers. People uh, don't live there in the houses. Practically nobody lives in the houses. Uh, the main purpose of this um, uh, trust status is to shield the uh, Indian tribes from uh, financial failures. The federal government uh, naively believed that uh, Indian tribes should be protected uh, from the outside society. Federal government does not allow the Indian tribes uh, to fail financially. So, of course, this peculiar status scares away businesses and uh, creates what uh, Robert Higgs famously described as a regime of uncertainty. In fact, here on reservations, regime uncertainty exists uh, in its extreme form. It borders on socialism. So that is why in uh, 1983, uh, a former Secretary of Interior in the first Reagan administration named James Watt, he actually said, and dearly paid for this statement because he offended the whole group of people. That's how it was viewed at that time. I quote, if you want to, uh, if you want to have an example of the failure of socialism, don't go to Russia, come to America and go to Indian reservations, unquote. In the 1990s, I had a chance, I did the research on another topic, and I had a chance to go through several Indian reservations. And what uh, struck me, uh, it was like coming back uh, home. <laughs> <laughs> Because Indian countryside resembles Russian countryside. And you could uh, 
see the same shacks, worn out shacks. You could see this uh, um, fences, rotting fen- fences, uh, car carcasses. And frequently, I have to say it, a bunch of intoxicated individuals <laughs> hanging around. <laughs> so I guess my talk will be a biased view of a former Soviet citizen who feels um, that he enters his past when he crosses the borders of uh, an Indian reservation. Well, to be serious, I want to give you a mini excursion in the intellectual origin. So who set this system? How this system was set? Why does it exist? Uh, And I think we need to do it because since 1960s, the topic of uh, Native America was hijacked by Marxist scholarship and uh, by so-called identity studies, identity studies. So I'm going to apply sort of methodological individualism (laughs) to this topic. Okay. In my view, uh, the enduring poverty on Indian reservations is not a result of, as Marxist scholarship says, uh, uh, evil capitalism, but the result of collectivism and statism. Endorsed in the 1930s, that's when this system was set up, collectivism and statism were internalized by uh, federal bureaucracy and by Native American leaders themselves. And now it became part of the culture, institutional culture and so-called traditional culture. In fact, the despise of individual enterprise and private property on reservations is currently advertised as a part of this ancient legacy, traditional lifestyle, and so forth. Okay. I don't think I need to give you statistics. I uh, don't want to waste too much time. If you're interested, you can Google it. So Indians, Native Americans are poorest group uh, among the other ethnic groups in the United States. Okay. <clears throat> These rotten policies which resulted in what we have today, 38% uh, Indians live uh, below poverty level. The rotten policies which resulted in this situation were set up during the New Deal in 1930s. By whom? By John Collier, a Columbia-educated social reformer, community organizer, and on top of this, a utopian dreamer. So he believed he uh, would create certain Red Atlantis. It was a metaphor for him to describe uh, this uh, collective commonwealth, organic commonwealth, that would show America and the world this ideal lifestyle. Okay. The gist of his system was uh, a creation of so-called the tribal corporations, public corporations, another fancy word that came from Italy, <laughs> public corporations. <clears throat> it's interesting that uh, in the rest of America, you don't have uh, uh, local governments that own casinos, uh, restaurants, motels, hotels, but on Indian reservations, you have local governments, these private corporations, who own these things, okay? And if they uh, fail these ventures, the federal government steps in and subsidizes them. So we have uh, stories about numerous uh, Native American enterprises that had been subsidized by the government for 20, 25 years, 30 years. My major argument is that uh, Collier Utopian project, it's a utopia, restoration of tribal collectivism through setting up these public corporations, was not some uh, out-of-touch with reality stuff. It was part of a New Deal mindset. And even more, I try to argue that it was a 
uh, manifestation of a standard policy solutions, which were shared by many other countries at that time. National Socialism in Germany, Mussolini Italy, uh, FDR. There are other projects which resemble New Deal, and even Soviet communism understand. Um, I'm arguing that in addition to uh, this gigantic modernization pursued by these governments, uh, these governments, Italy, National Socialism in Germany, FDR, and even Soviet Russia, if you need examples, I can give you. They also, to ease this uh, pace of modernization, they resorted to um, back-to-land philosophy. They started to glorify folk cultures, okay? folklore, history legacy of the past. Or we can say the blood and soil philosophy. So basically what I'm trying to tell you that blood and soil stuff, it wasn't only what we uh, could see in Nazi Germany. It was to some extent shared by all these regimes. And again, uh, even in the United States we can find examples like, for instance, Arthur Dale Project in West Virginia scheme to place unemployed workers on land to turn them into organic farmers, they would be the model American citizens. Okay. Another common feature shared by social engineers from California to Yarrow Mountains was this uh, blind belief in science. We can call it science worship. Remember Hayek, F.H. Hayek, in his famous work, The Counter-Revolution of Science, 1955, he was the first to draw our attention to this uh, particular part of modernity. Okay. Collier, a middle-level uh, New Deal bureaucrat, was a perfect manifestation of this mentality. Okay, mindset. Okay, that's Collier. This is mindset. That's the most important. Okay. So Collier was perfect manifestation of this mindset. On the one hand, he glorified Indian tribalism as organic lifestyle, which could be used to anchor Americans in their soil. On the other hand, he said, uh, science should be used to revitalize communities. And if you go through his articles and essays, you will see this obsession with science. Uh, he demanded, actually, that the Indian reservations uh, to be used as laboratories for sociological, sociological experimentation. In one of his speeches, which was uh, titled United States Administration as a Laboratory of Ethnic Relationships, he actually issued himself a political license to do things. Uh, he said that if government imposes something on an ethnic group, it's bad. But if government interferes, imposes something uh, backed by science, that's good. <laughs> so everything should be backed by science. Okay. So anyway, to make a long story short, uh, federal government, uh, prompted by Collier, imposed the system of New Deal, these public corporations on Indians. Indians were lured by promise to receive a generous credit. Okay. So 70% of Indians endorsed this, but 30% were against this. Okay. And I'm going to talk briefly about this 30%. These Indians revolted essentially against uh, uh, tribalism. Collier believed that an Indian should be a die-hard collectivist. Okay. But these Indians, 30%, they said, well, wait a second, we'll have private property. <laughs> we have farms. farms. We don't want to be collectivized. It's not uh, like the Soviet Union. <clears throat> of course, he was angry 
It was a bizarre situation. He labeled these Indians who loved the private farms, uh, wanted to work on the land, be private owners. He labeled them as fake Indians. You're fake, so you're not real. A real Indian is a diehard collectors. He wants to be a part of a tribe. <laughs> In fact, he went nasty. He did nasty tricks. He um, not only denounced them, he actually uh, recruited FBI to harass some of the leaders of these people. Okay. Uh, what are the future prospects of this system set up by color and which exists to the present day? As I mentioned, this uh, socialist archipelago is relatively modest in its size. It's only 2% of U.S. soil, okay? Uh, it shelters only 20% of Native, Ameri Native Americans. So, uh, unlike bailing out such bankrupt states as California, Illinois, uh, New York... It's uh, not a big deal for a huge American uh, budget. <laughs> uh, of course, as long as American taxpayers are ready to put up with this. Okay? And unless American welfare capitalism goes down under the burden of uh, numerous entitlements. So far, protected by the shield of trust status and guaranteed financial injections, Indian country is in a pretty good, is in a pretty good shape, okay? in quotation marks. All in all, like uh, social security scheme, uh, farmers' subsidies, and many other wonderful products of the New Deal alchemical lab, Red Atlantis is still with us, alive and well. Thank you. <laughs>